Well, a little while ago, I started a series on the kingdom of God, and as you can see, it got out of hand. We had 14 parts to this, but um, I, I'll just tell you, I, I, I hope that it has been a blessing to you. It has been a blessing to me. Uh, the, the kingdom of God is not one of those things that I frankly did a lot of study on in college and even since. Um, some of you know my background was... was uh, uh, an associate pastor primarily. I didn't preach every week. I taught a lot of things, um, uh, taught sometimes many times during the week, but, but it was more of, of um, uh, education, discipleship ministries, things like that. And this is just one of those topics that, you know, I would touch on an occasion, but not get into deeply. And it's, it's been helpful for me. And as we've looked at it, what we've pretty much come to the conclusion of is that really the gospel itself is not the theme of Scripture. It's the kingdom of God. The gospel is the message of the kingdom of God for us. Um, the kingdom, you know, God created us to have fellowship with us. The kingdom is not just God himself. It's, it's, it's us together with him. The gospel is how he made that possible. Okay? So all of this working together... Uh, brings us now to heaven, the completion of the kingdom. That's, that's when everything is going to come to pass, everything's going to be done. And, and so I, I hope this is, again, just a, a great encouragement to you. As we just consider where we're going this morning, our topic today is heaven as the completion of the kingdom. Heaven is directly related to eschatology or what the Bible teaches about future things. Sometimes they're called end things, end times. Several different terms, same idea. Now, our current series has been the kingdom of God. I know I've already said that, but I really want to emphasize it. Our consideration of heaven could easily and quickly expand into a detailed study of end times and how all these things fit together. Okay? Because of where we're at and where we'll be going, uh, the purpose today is to focus on the fulfillment of the kingdom. It's not going to be on how everything fits together or even a detailed explanation of some of the things that we've seen here in Revelation 21, okay? Uh, that would take probably many weeks. There's some symbolism here. There, there's, you know, there's a lot of things going on. But we are going to make sure that we relate it back to the kingdom. Now, there are actually three heavens in Scripture, three heavens that are mentioned. And so as we consider those three heavens, the first one is what we would call our atmosphere, all right? The second one would be again, just by common, you know, things that we say, would be um, outer space. And what I want you to do is turn to Genesis 1. Obviously, that's the very beginning of your Bible. If you want to follow along, I'm actually going to read this out of the English Standard Version because there's a word there, word there called firmament. Very old word. Um, we don't really always know what that means today, and I don't want to explain it and say it over and over again, but it means expanse. And so that's, that's what um, this translation gives, and I think it's just better. Uh, I, I'm going to skip some verse uh, from, from one verse to another at one point, and I will let you know about that. But I want you to see what the scriptures say about our atmosphere and outer space. Genesis 1, beginning in, in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness is over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. 
God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Now uh, slide down to verse 14 with me. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give lights upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So as you look at those things, you know, just, just some practical things to consider. Um, there's obviously, you know, the birds are not flying in space, okay? Uh, but yet at the same time, from, from an ancient's perspective, as they looked heavenward, right, there, there wasn't a clear delineation. They just knew that there were bodies out there that were much farther than the clouds, for example, okay? And they, they understood that. But, but we see it today, and I do believe that the scriptures do indicate that there was the atmosphere and then there was the space. But then we also have what we would call the dwelling place of God. Um, the dwelling place of God. And as, as we think about that dwelling place of God, that's really where we're going to transition into our first point. Because that is where we're going to start when it comes to, okay, we're talking about heaven. Well, well what is it? So we're going to talk about God's dwelling place. We've already seen that there is really a created physical heaven. But what is this dwelling place of God? First, I want to establish that, that there is one. And by the way, we're going to go through a number of verses today. We're going to let the verses pretty much speak through these things because if, if I don't, again, we're not going to cover enough. But if we... You know, you get the idea. We're just going to follow along here. All right. Psalm 11, 4. And the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. So clearly we have stated here that God's throne, where he resides, is in heaven. Isaiah 66, the beginning of verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. And then 2 Corinthians 12, 2 says this. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, and by the way, this, this could get complicated too. This is Paul speaking of an experience that he had 14 years prior to what he's, when he's writing. And he's speaking in the third person. Many people feel out of humility. Okay, that's, that's where he's speaking from. So he says, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. All right, so... Where did he go? He, he went, what we would call, the heaven where God is. All right? 
There's a unique passage in Solomon, I'm sorry, in the scriptures when Solomon was dedicating the temple that mentions all three heavens. And that comes from 1 Kings chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 27 and 30. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. And then verse 30. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, here in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So he basically says the material heavens can't contain you, but please hear us from your dwelling place, heaven. That's, that's nice that the Lord provided this for us, right? Now, there's a purpose of where it is, but for our purposes, it tells us that there are three different heavens. It's also interesting that we see that Jesus came from heaven. We're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 14 and 18. It says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt or lived among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now, we have a little bit more clearer verse here uh, coming up, but this one tells us, that he came from the Father. Well, we just established where the Father is. Okay? So then chapter 3, verse 13 in John says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. All right? So we can't get any more clearer than that. Christ came from heaven. Now, Jesus also returned to heaven and will come back. We have two passages that are related to that. Three slides, two passages. I want to remind you that. Uh, John 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. And my Father's house are many mansions. Pretty familiar uh, passage, right? If it were not so, I would have told you. And, and I, I just got to pause here. I, I like how Jesus says things that when he wants to get a point across... If it was different, I would have explained it to you differently. Okay? But this is what's going to happen. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then two slides for this passage here, but it's Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Therefore, when they had come together... We're talking now his, his, his disciples, soon to be apostles. Uh, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? We looked at this recently and, and, and basically said, you know, even then, even after Christ's resurrection and just before he ascended to heaven, they were like, all right, this is it now, right? Now you're going to establish your earthly kingdom. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his, in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's revealing to them again his plan. All right? Then he goes on. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go 
into heaven. So we understand that they saw him go up into what we would maybe call the first heaven, but he was ultimately going to where? Back to the Father. He was going back to his abode with God. So we're reminded from verse 6 that Christ's disciples still anticipated this earthly kingdom, right? But we see in this passage that Christ ascended to heaven and that Christ will return again from heaven. Um, as we think about verse 11, I, I just, you know, they kind of froze, didn't they, the disciples? And so I'm going to give you what, what I'm going to call the, the MKV. That's the uh, Mel Kiger version of the Bible in this. Is this. If I were doing this, this is what my dad would say. What do you stand around gawking at? Get to work. <laughs> That's what the angels are telling them, right? <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Like they, they froze. He's, he's leaving. And, and I'm not saying the angels said this. I'm saying Jesus said this. He already told them, I'm leaving. Multiple times. He told them, I'm coming back. But they kind of froze. It's like, you know, almost like a, what are we going to do now? And so the angels basically said, hey, he's coming back. Right? And the idea is, snap out of it. Get busy. Do what he told you to do. And of course, we can't be so heavenly focused, right, that we do the same thing. We've got business to do down here as well. One last thing as we think about this uh, area of, of um, uh, heaven is that in John 15, 26, what does Jesus say? He says, but when the helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So we see there twice the Spirit is said to be coming from the Father. Again, where is the Father's abode? Where does he live? In heaven. So we have the Spirit coming from heaven as well. Now, it should not be a surprise to us that if heaven is God's home, that we are going to see the Trinity represented there. All right? But it just so happens that the Scriptures say that. Now, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. So then where is his home? I, I can't see definitively, but God is also spirit. I believe heaven is that spiritual realm that is separate from the material world, and it represents where God dwells. It's not like the Lord isn't here and he's somewhere else. That's impossible. But we also know that God isn't the piano and the carpet and the pews. Some religions believe that, that God is actually a part of the material world. He's not. That's his create, created world. He's over it. He holds everything together, but he's not a part of it. So God is separate from his material world. All right. So with all of this said, then, we have, it, we have this sense that there is this other heaven where God lives. Um, again, we could start going into, you know, how we get there and all those kinds of things. We're not going to do that right now because we're concluding our series, all right? And, and, and folks, I'm just telling you, in my study this week, it's like, ah, you know, I feel very constrained today if you didn't notice. Anyway, next, next thing here. How is heaven described? At this point, as we talk about heaven, I am specifically referring to what we commonly call the eternal state. 
where we will enjoy forever with God. Okay? That's what we talk about a lot, right? Heaven, that future point in time. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a fine way of describing it, but it is still where God is. It just happens to be the eternal state where God is and where we are with him. All right? So that's what we're talking about at this point. So from Revelation 21, we're just going to kind of go down through here and, and describe what's going on here. And again, keeping it with this idea of kingdom fulfillment. Verse 1 says this, For I saw a new heaven, new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. So what we see here is a recreation of the created world, of both the heavens and the earth, which is an amazing thing to think about, folks. And it also says that there's not going to be any more sea. Now, I'm just going to throw this out on a practical basis. Um, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but I do believe that the earth has something to do with, the, with heaven. Okay? Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But there's a lot of people that have gone on before us. And in God's plan, the earth that we now reside on, which is covered 71% by water, is no longer going to have that. There's going to be a lot more land mass. The purpose of that, I don't know exactly. Exactly. We're going to speculate a little bit today, but not wildly, okay? I'm not going to just go off into, this is what I think it means. It's future stuff, okay? But let's look at a couple more passages that are related to this idea of the new heavens and new earth. Isaiah 66:22. So this was not a new idea, right? For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name <clears throat> remains, okay? So, so what's the point here? is that there is this promise of these people that are going to remain how long? Forever, as the new heavens and new earth. And then 2 Peter 3.13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Very succinctly put, the whole idea here is that it is going to be a state, a place of complete righteousness. Then verses 2 and 3 talk about the New Jerusalem. Now, again, this is where we could go way off the rails here, and I'm going to try not to. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, Again, quick pause. Where is heaven located? God's presence. Okay? What does it say here? God himself is going to descend to the earth. Okay? Interesting. Interesting. Hebrews 11.10 says this, For Abraham, uh, this is going back, talking about these people of faith, waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Wow, that's pretty cool, isn't it? You know, we, we look at that and we, and we put that in context and we remember 
Abraham was a man of faith, and there's several different things that are said about him, but one of those things was he was looking for this specific city, and we just had this city described in our, in our scripture reading in, in uh, chapter 21 there. So now what I want to do is not pick out everything because there, it's, it's in great detail, but look at some of the details, some of the highlights related to Revelation 21, verses 9 through 21, which is this description of the city, all right? And so just kind of, you know, look at your scriptures as we go down through. I'm not even sure I'm going to be worried as much about chapter and, I mean, verse as much as I am just, just, um, just to describe it. As you consider the gemstones that the walls are going to be made out of, that the foundations are going to be made of, that, that we're, we're talking about 12 city gates that are made of solid pearl, right? I mean, it's amazing. So when we talk about the pearly gates, yeah, there really are, okay? By the way, is there a street of gold that is mentioned? Yes. Does that mean street as in there's this, you know, way through the city that is streets, plural? We're not clear about that. But there is at least one street of gold, okay? Uh, the city is also mentioned that, that, that part of that is built out of gold. And so there's just this amazing picture that we have. Um, look, I, I know not all of us, maybe this is our thing, okay? It's not necessarily my thing either. But if you were to take a look at a beautiful piece of jewelry, right? As a matter of fact, you go to museums and many times they have a little section off to the side. I think Detroit... Museum of Art, uh, Institute of Art has it. But, but you see this jewelry that they have. And, you know, you just take a look and it's like, wow, the craftsmanship and, and, and different gemstones. Sometimes they've got a theme. They're all diamonds. Other times it's all different sandstones, whatever. There's nothing like this. Okay, we are talking about this giant city. We'll get into that in just a minute. Whose walls are made out of jasper that are a little over 200 feet high. <laughs> Speechless, right? Walking on gold that is so pure that it's that is transparent or translucent. We're not sure exactly what it means, but it's it's gorgeous. I mean, this is the city that comes on and and we're not even sure some people say it actually rests on the earth. Others say that it actually is suspended above the earth. I don't think that's important. But there's a couple other things. The 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles are represented there, right? The 12 tribes with the gates and the 12 apostles with the foundations. Of, of what? Of precious stones. I really believe that they represent both Old and New Testament people of faith because this city is described, right, as related to the people of God. So I do think it's a real city. I don't, I don't, some people say it's, it's just kind of, um, it's all allegorical. I, I don't think that's the case. I do believe it's a real city. But there is a representation in this city that it's, it's for the people of God. All right. So here's, here's the, the next wild part of this. No matter, you know, 
our, our minds are limited as far as how we can des describe this and, and how we can try to see the different colors. I don't even know what some of these gemstones are, right? That's not my thing. But the city will be 1,400 square miles. That's, that's going to be its footprint, so to speak. It's also cubed. Now, I don't mean like exactly, but the height of it is also 1,400. We don't know if that's spires or if it is one giant cube. I don't know. But the wall itself is then outside of that, and the wall is only 200 and some feet. The wall is not designed for defensive purposes. It's just to define the city. It's, it's, it's glitter on top of glitter, okay? I mean, it's, it's just astounding. But just to give you an idea of what we're talking about, and, and, and I, some of you, uh, which would include myself, who want things perfect, okay? This is not a perfect square, but it's the best I could do to keep it in the United States and give you an idea. So I'm twitching as I show you this as well. But this is a rendering. If you were to go from uh, uh, the very upper part, International Falls, right, uh, Minnesota, slide over to, now I can't remember what that city is called now. I lost it. What's that? No, it's not Spokane. It's north of Spokane. But anyway, it doesn't matter. And then that, that's Washington. Then you go down to Yuma, Arizona, and then back over to um, New Orleans, Louisiana. That's roughly... 1,400 miles squared, all right? That's a big city. That's a very large city. And it is going to be more beautiful than anything we have ever physically seen. And we're going to talk more about this in just a minute. But we've mentioned its beauty. That's in detail. We've mentioned its purpose, right? But I want to also get on to verse 4, but attach verse 27 to this. We're going to jump ahead because 27 gives us another, another layer of this. We're going to look at 27 first. It says, For there shall be by no means enter into enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the land's book of life. Now I'm going to pause here for a minute. What's this really saying, folks? No sin's going to enter this city. Now, we're talking about a recreated world. I, I believe that this represents the entire world. I don't, you know, if there's no sin in the city, there's no sin outside of the city. But the point is, this represents God's dwelling place with man. This is God's dwelling place with man. There's no sin. In heaven, there is no sin. But then it goes from something that somebody might commit to then who the people are that are in heaven. And it is exclusive. It is those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. How is our name written in the Lamb's book of life? Well, let's first say, who's the Lamb? John told us that, John the baptizer. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay. Now, we know that that was represented as not every sin in the world. But here's the point. The Lamb of God was God, the Son, the sacrifice, the Messiah, the one who was fulfilling all the things we talked about in the kingdom so that the kingdom could actually take place. And so he laid his life down. Those who placed their faith in what he did 
dying on the cross for our sins and rising again, they are written in the Lamb's book of life. There is a record. We're going to see more about that in a minute. So now let's jump back to verse 4, because I, I think that these work well together. And it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. These are all the results of sin. These are all the terrible things that take place because we have sinned. So there isn't going to be any sin, and there isn't going to be any after effects of sin. They're all going to be gone. Folks, let's just pause for a minute and, and, and take that in. I don't care what your age is. You have, you have experienced the consequences of sin, and sometimes quite seriously, right? So we have no outside influence of sin. We have no effect, effects of sin. And the city represents all people of faith as the city that is called holy. It's set apart from sin and it's set apart for God. Just like we can't picture the beauty of the structure, we cannot picture the blessing of the results of forgiveness of the results of christ paying the price for our sin as the lamb of god we, we, we can't fathom what it means to not have to fight wrong thoughts to not respond wrongly to not have physical things go wrong with us to all those different things the influence of sin, the sin itself that's in us, and the effects of sin. How can we imagine being in a world that doesn't include that? It's beyond us. But it's promised to us. It's promised to us if we are written in the Lamb's book of life. So folks, and, and I'll just say this, I'm talking to young people for a little bit here, and it can apply to all of us. I remember as a younger person having received Christ and starting to grow and stuff, and the big thing back in my day was, you know, oh, Jesus is coming, the rapture is going to take place like yesterday, okay? Now, it is an ever-present possibility, and, and I'm not arguing with that, but that was the push. Man, that was where so much of the preaching was. The Lord's coming back. The Lord's coming back. And everybody was trying to figure out all this, the prophetic calendars and what means this and what means that. And, wow, it was just, it was wonderful, right? I'll say it a little bit tongue-in-cheek. And I thought to myself, yeah, it sounds great, but I'd kind of like to live a little bit. I'd like to get married, maybe have some kids enjoy life a little bit is that wrong like i would feel guilty so here's what i'll tell you just to kind of alleviate some stress here do that live your life right now according to god's standards and enjoy it but understand when we're talking about and we're going to describe this more so i want you to you know to, to have that mindset you're not going to miss anything down here. 
and we'll talk about that in a minute. Everything that you can't imagine that we just talked about is a promised fulfillment. It's, it's our fallen state to a degree that's wanting us to hang on down here. And I'm simply saying, I don't know that you can completely free yourself from that. But I hope that this study will help you to change your focus. All right? That's partly why we're doing it. So let's move on. The last few verses there, near the last, verses 22 through 25 in Revelation 21 says this, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated the new Jerusalem. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And, and just, just a quick note about the gates. Why did they close the gates? It was for security reasons. <laughs> There's no need for security in heaven. There's no enemy from without that's going to come after us. Okay? So there's gates, but they're always open because it's always daytime. It's pretty cool. So I want us to just briefly remind ourselves here that the Father and the Son are the temple. There is no need for a separate physical meeting place. That's what this is talking about here. There's no need for something like a church or for something like the temple that we had in Jerusalem. The glory of God and Christ illuminate the city. They are there. He is there, God, the three in one, and we are going to have perfect fellowship with him. So that's a snapshot of 21, chapter 21, in relation to what we're looking at as far as as far as the kingdom and its finality and, and, and its coming to full fruition. But there are some other passages related to this that we can see. The first one says that uh, gives us who heaven's residents are, which is, which is a, a cross-reference to what we've seen even in 21. Hebrews 22, 22 through 23. For you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Is there any question as to what we're talking about here? No. To an innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. So who's there? Angels, all who are in Christ, and God himself. That's who's in heaven. I don't know what it's going to be like to hang out with angels, but it's going to be kind of cool, I think. And I'm not going to speculate on that, but they're going to be there, right? But I love that word that we are registered. That goes back to that, you know, we're signed in. What are we signed into? The Lamb's Book of Life. When the books are open, it's going to say, do you have a reservation, right? How many of you ever done that before? You've gone in, I have a reservation. I'm sorry, we don't have a record of that reservation. That's not going to happen. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are going to be going to heaven, and by the way, Peter doesn't sit at the pearly gates, you know, checking people's names off. That's a different event. But the point is this. 
you're going to know it. It's not like you're going to be there and be, oh, um, we missed one. We'll have to find you a room. That's not going to be the case. All right? So these are going to be the residents of heaven forever. Also, it tells us in Revelation 22, 3, the next chapter, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Now, again, I'm going to be careful not to speculate too much here. I don't know what that service is going to look like in heaven. I just don't know. What I do know is, is that God is still going to have a realm. And, and, and we're going to be a part of that. But service does not mean the same as servitude. Remember what Jesus said. I, I don't even call you servants now, right? Because servants don't know what the master is doing. I call you friends. This is not a contradiction. It's just simply saying that we are still under the authority of God. But it's going to be much different in heaven, and this is all we got. All right? So, I'm, again, I'm not trying to just throw these, these wild speculations up, but I want us to see there's going to be something for us to do for God. And it's going to be a perfect thing. And it's something to look forward to. Now, this one here tells us that there is no marriage in heaven. Now, I pause for a minute just to make sure that no one was stupid enough to say amen to that. Okay? So anyway, <laughs> Luke 20, <laughs> verses 35 and 36 say this, But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead, so we know who we're talking about, we're talking about believers, neither marry or are given in marriage, nor can they die any more, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Beautiful passage, Right? We're not going to look at it in its context, but we're going to look at it as far as its relationship to the kingdom, to heaven. Now, again, from an earthly side of things, and I'm just going to say personally, you know, I'm not going to be married to Maggie in heaven. Like, how are we going to know each other? You know, what's going to happen? It's, it's, it, there might be a little bit of... Uh, simply put there just won't be any purpose for it. The Lord will perfectly fulfill the relationship of spouse. Remember some of the verses we've looked at? God is going to perfectly fulfill the relationship of spouse for every believer in heaven. We don't need that picture of our relationship with God anymore. It's complete. Now, I do believe that that also lends itself to the fact that not that we're not going to have relationships, but that relation, those relationships are going to be different, and that's not going to be a bad thing. It's going to be a very good thing. And then one that we certainly know a lot about in Philippians chapter 3, but just, again, hard to completely fathom is that we will have perfect transformed bodies. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now again, when we're young, and we don't have all these maladies that I now have, and some of you might have, we're like, 
Yeah, I, I can't wait for that, right? But here's the reality. Even when I was like, you know, more buff, right? When I, when I was a teenager or a young 20s and I was strong and dare I say even handsome? No, I can't. I can't because I wasn't. But you get the idea, right? Like, you know, I, I kind of had it together. I worked out and stuff and, you know, I could take care of myself. But guess what? There was always somebody stronger than me. There was always somebody better at something than me. And even if it wasn't a somebody, there was always something I could not do. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to be super people, but the point is we're not, we were never complete. In our prime, in our very best, we were never complete. I remember the twisted ankles, and I remember, you know, dislocated this and, and hurting that, even as a young person. We're going to be transformed, and we are going to have a spiritual body that we can't fully understand. It, it, it's, it's going to be amazing. First uh, Corinthians tells us something about this too. Listen to this. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Folks, this transformation has to take place, right? Or what's the end? The end's death. So, so this is life. This is life eternal. And it looks to me from Scripture, the truth here is that it, we have a physical body. Again, we can't fully understand that. But it's going to be a body that was given to us by God for his glory. And then Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, uh, give us one more picture of heaven um, in, in this section that we're looking at. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for he will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now we know that this is partially a, a prophecy of, of, of um, Christ, but it's also for all who are in him. We're, we're not going to see corruption. We just saw that. The, the corruptible will put on incorruption and so on. So it says here then, you will show me the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy. If our joy is full, is there anything lacking? Now, this does give the idea, though, that this is an ever-increasing joy. In other words, we start out with, I'm completely joyful, but I'm going to add to it. That's heaven. That's, that's wonderful, isn't it? It's amazing that, that we're going to have this this joyful experience that is not going to wear out for forever in the presence of our God, having a right relationship with him. Now, this idea of pleasures evermore, um, 
I'm just going to tell you, the commentators, I think, were really afraid of this phrase. Very, very little is written about it. Usually it's like, this means this and this means that. Oh, and we're going to have pleasures forevermore. It's like, wow, thank you for explaining that, right? <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to go on a limb here. This cannot speak of self-indulgence. We, we've already established it's, it's, there's no sin in heaven. We're not going to have that capacity. Instead, eternity will be full of experiences that bring great pleasure and great joy. We have that. Pleasures evermore. What are they? I wish I could tell you. I can't. But it's what awaits us. Now, because of that, it's not, I'm going to go out and fish forever. <laughs> no. And it's not, I'm going to shop and I'm never going to drop. No, that's not it either. <laughs> Somebody like that one. <laughs> and it's not hanging out with our besties for eternity. Okay? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a joyfulness, pleasurable activities, things that are, are beneficial to us from the hand of God because we are in his presence, etc. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Which kind of brings us to what will then heaven be like? Now, it doesn't mean that what we've talked about doesn't relate that to a degree. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give just a brief summary of everything we've talked about here. And I am going to throw in some speculation. I kind of, uh, you know, talked about that last week. Now, this kind of speculation isn't, you know, I'm going to take a blindfold and throw a dart somewhere, okay? It's going to be based upon what we've studied already about the kingdom. But I think that there's some things that we can uh, take from the past and, and, and look at them forward, letting Scripture kind of interpret Scripture for us. And by the way, if you disagree with me, more power to you because it's future and we're all going to see what it is if you're in Christ eventually, right? So here's the summary. We have an amazing eternal life awaiting us. Everything that presently exists will be recreated. We will have a perfect personal relationship with God. Please understand, there's a lot going on here, but the centrality of heaven is God with us, of God tabernacling, right, tenting, residing, living with us. That is what is central to all of this. And our physical bodies will be perfect. So we're going to be sinless. We're going to have perfect bodies. And we're going to have a perfect relationship with God. And then everything else really goes around that. So now here's the speculation part. I want to try to take today's study, as I mentioned, and, and, and observe some scriptures here and what they say. Bring some consideration from a couple of other passages. We're not going to do chapter and verse here. We're going to go by memory with some of the things. It's, it's just too much. But I think it will be helpful to make some comparisons. First of all, the Garden of Eden prior to the fall. Okay? The Garden of Eden prior to the fall. God placed Adam and Eve in a perfect world and in a, in a fertile garden. Right? They tended the garden and work wasn't a chore. The fall hadn't taken place yet. Part of the curse was work is now what we know of as work today. Right? 
I'm not saying you don't enjoy your job or whatever. There's all kinds of work. Work's hard because it's work. But back then, prior to the fall, it wasn't. They were told to have kids. Now, that's not part of heaven, but I'm just telling you what they were told. And there was no death. By the way, plants were not counted as living beings. Okay, just so we understand that. But there was no death up until sin came into the picture. There was every indication that they had regular communion with God. All right? So that's a snapshot of the Garden of Eden. Now, in a limited sense, because we know that, that this covenant was different and, and they, they were a fallen people, right? Let's talk about the nation of Israel. God gave a specific people a specific land. Is, is that going to happen in heaven? Yeah, we're going to have the whole earth. His presence was with them in the tabernacle or later on the temple. They were to regularly worship the Lord. It was a conditional covenant. If they obeyed and served him, he would bless them. Many of the blessings included limiting the effects of sin. God would give them peace. He would bless them with abundant crops and he would heal their diseases. Does that sound even remotely familiar? Is that a shadow possibly, right, of what's to come? Then we go to the millennial kingdom. We just looked at that last week. Christ will rule with righteousness. Satan will be removed. No influence from Satan for that thousand-year period. People in the millennium will plant, harvest, and build. Those who enter the millennium will have children. There will be peace. The people will experience great joy. They will fellowship with God. And it won't be perfect, but it will be an exceptional time. So now let's look at heaven and eternity. Roughly the same elements are going to exist there. Again, we're not going to reproduce. There isn't going to be any death. But roughly the same elements exist there. God, in a specific relation, it will be in a specific relationship with his people living on the earth. It seems clear that in eternity, every person of true faith will be living on a recreated world. We will each have a place in the New Jerusalem. And by the way, what is the New Jerusalem? What does it represent? There's no what? There's no temple. There's no tabernacle. God is the temple. Our sin nature will be completely removed and there will be absolutely no outside sinful influence. We'll be free from our past. Eternity will be fundamentally different than any other time since the garden because sin will no longer exist. But I do not think that God's method of communing with man will change. I believe the Lord is going to restore us to a life much like the beginning of his relationship with man. Now, I want you to hear this next part very carefully. And I remind you that I'm proposing an educated guess based upon our understanding of the kingdom. We will serve the Lord, but our service will be as perfected saints and co-heirs with Christ. I made that point earlier. We will worship the Lord for eternity. And I expect us to have lengthy gatherings expressing our praise to God. But I don't see any indication of an eternal worship service. Now, I know, again, I want to be careful how I say this. 
If God were to determine that, is there something wrong with that? No. But I don't see that in Scripture. I don't see that methodology of God there. I believe in heaven we'll be living out verses, and these are paraphrases, verses like, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do everything to God's glory. We won't be capable of desiring anything else in our eternal life but that. Therefore, I believe all our heavenly activities, all our relationships will express the worth of God. So let's rewind here for a minute. What are we supposed to be doing now? The same thing. God resides in us. We are called what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. Those verses that I mentioned to you, they're, they're current now. But, but heaven, the eternal state, is a fulfillment of all of that. But I still believe, let me, let me just ask you this. I mean, and again, we're, we're speculating here. Why would there even be an earth unless it was relevant? So we have patterned the garden. We have patterned the land of Israel. We have patterned even prophecy saying they were looking ahead to that city. They were looking ahead to that world. And we have how God has dealt with people all along. So here's my point. Maybe we all will have a plot of land or whatever it is on the earth. And we'll be tending it. We'll be doing our thing. But the whole time it's going to be, man, look what my dad gave me. Look at how I can do this and bring glory to him. And there isn't going to be, your garden's better than my garden. Right? There isn't any of that. There's any jealousy. So I'm just throwing that out, you know, based upon the garden. But you know, do, do I think that we're going to build these giant cities on the earth? I don't think so. I mean, that's this is where my speculation ends. But there's going to be activity. There's going to be service. There's going to be things that we're going to do. But it's all going to be related to our relationship with the Lord. It doesn't cheapen it. It's what he said we are to do now. Got all that now, sorry. So in my imagination, based upon what I see in Scripture, I see a world that God is going to give us where we actually live out what he's already told us to do. And there won't be any problems with doing it. Because not only will we be whole, but our relationship with him will be whole. The scriptures tell us, and then we will forever be with the Lord. All right? So let's bring this to conclusion. Heaven is God's ultimate final fulfillment of his relationship with us. Our anticipation of heaven and even the new heavens and new earth should motivate us in the present to live a life honoring the Lord. I want to leave you with a passage 
Second Peter, turn with me there, please. Second Peter, chapter three. Second Peter, chapter three. Again, we're going to leave this as a conclusionary statement. I'm not going to say a lot about it. As soon as I get there. Starting in verse 9. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Okay? There's no delay here. As some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Okay? There's going to be a recreation. We've already read about that. Therefore, because of this, because those old things are going to pass away and all things are going to be made new, because of the hope that we have in heaven, since all these things will be dissolved, with what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth which righteousness dwells in which righteousness dwells let's keep going therefore another therefore beloved looking forward to these things be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless and account that the long suffering of our lord is salvation as also our beloved brother paul according to the wisdom given to him has written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which those who are untaught and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know these things beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But how does it end? But grow in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. We're looking ahead. We're looking ahead. We're looking ahead to all of these new and amazing things. Why? Because we're his. Because it is for our benefit and it is for his glory. And our life ought to be changed as a result. We need to continue to set aside the sin to figure out what it means to really follow him in every area of our life. And our work habits, and our marriages, and our communication, and our thought life. On and on we can go, folks. But we're doing this partly because what's coming? It's amazing. I, I can't even fathom it. I, I can't even imagine just what the city's going to look like, let alone going through an eternal day without having any sin in my life. Like, or, or, or an enticement to do it. It's not going to be there. And I will know God, my Creator and my Savior, face to face. It's coming. 
Are you written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you have reservations? And I don't mean, I've got reservations. I mean, are you in? Jesus said, count the cost. You have to die to yourself. There's no other way to come to Jesus. If we're living for ourselves, we can't live for him. We need to respond in faith to what he has done, place ourselves under his authority, and say, you're my Lord and Savior. I'm living your way now. We can talk for many hours about sin, death, and hell and the horrific eternal state that someone without Christ will be in. We could also talk much more about heaven and what's waiting for us. Both of those things are not completely sufficient to bring you to Christ. They can help lead you to him, but ultimately it is this. I have offended my God who created me. And I need forgiveness for my offenses. Jesus is the only way that my relationship between God and myself can be made right because he said that if you place your faith in me, then your sins are gone. That's it. Simple. But very hard to do in the own human heart. Right? We justify things. We, we think of plan B, C, D, E, F. That's it. Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Placing our full faith in him gives us eternal life. If you need to talk to somebody about that today, we welcome you to do that. If you are a child of God, if you know that you are a follower of Christ, you are a believer, please not only look forward to this, but have it motivate you to be the believer that God wants you to be now. We're practicing. We're working out our salvation that will be fully coming to us at Christ's coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we anticipate this, we know that even if, it were, even if we were to be off the face of this earth now, there's still some things that need to happen in your prophetic calendar. But all that aside... This is what we are to look to. Based upon the faith that we have in you, you have given us a promise. Father, may we, we grasp that promise to the point where it changes how we're living today. That's what it's designed to do. But Lord, we also look forward to when we praise you for the experience that we really will have. It's a hope, not a wish. It's a hope we're waiting for it to be fulfilled type of thing. And when it is fulfilled, I'm not sure that we're ever going to fully, completely understand in all of eternity why we're there and all that we're experiencing. But what we will know for sure is this, that you made the way for us. You made it possible for the creature, for the created thing, to have an eternal relationship with the Creator. All praise be to our God and Father. All praise be 
to the Lamb who sits on the throne. In Christ's name, amen.